Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Amen. Remain standing, please, for the reading of the word. Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to have you stand for a minute. Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. As you find it, uh, we are continuing our journey through Joshua. It'll carry us through the end of the year. And uh, we find ourselves here in chapter 9. They, there's been a couple of highlights and a low light. They conquered Jericho miraculously, failed before Ai, a smaller town, because of sin that was in the camp. They responded to that, repented, and, and then God gave them Ai. And now we're in Joshua chapter 9. And it reads like this. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together. They came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a faraway country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth, and, all, and our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them, and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now you see it's dry and moldy, and these wineskins that, that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are, and our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The sermon title today is Don't Neglect Your Compass. Don't neglect... Your compass, this is a graduation season, lots of students graduating. Um, my daughter, Belen, just graduated eighth grade, the most beautiful eighth grader in the history of all eighth graders. She loves attention. There you go. Yes. My daughter, Eden, is here. She graduated with her BA in, a, in accounting. Yes. I didn't mean to talk about this, but I might as well since I started. 
My son Caden's graduating with his master's next week. He ain't here. Don't worry. He might watch online. And I actually finished my master's degree in leadership studies so I can tell everybody what to do. I didn't mean to talk about all that, but I guess it just, you know, is an accident here. It's graduation time, and people are kind of choosing paths. And if you're a high school grad or you know a high school grad, a lot going on this weekend with that as well. Um, we know that they're just embarking. And so, you know, 12 years of school is preparation for maybe another four or a professional career, maybe the military. They're just starting. And the directions that we take matter. How do we decide the choices that we make in life? Will we only be willing to respond to the highest bidder? Does it all really come down to pay in terms of the career that I choose? Does it, just, does it come down to, to just, you know, making my first million by the time I'm 40 or 50? Is that really all that matters? And if you think uh, in secular terms, if, if, if the, the humanists or the atheists have their way, then it really is that. It's just, you know, get what you can while you can but for those who have a reckoning with God, a moment where they encounter God and they put their faith in God and they experience the redemption of Jesus Christ in their lives, the whole paradigm shifts. The humanist lives for him or herself, but the believer lives for the glory of God. And that principle, that reality, that I owe God my every breath, the Lord who died to redeem me, to buy me, to pay the price for my sin, the one who ransomed me so that I wouldn't be condemned to be apart from him for eternity, he's worthy of my life. You following me? This is not religion. This is a relationship. This isn't tradition or, or, or mere liturgy. This is a faith-filled response to a reality that if I believe in reality Jesus died for me, then in reality I owe him my everything. And I refuse to barter with the one who has bought me. You follow that? So, it reminds me that this shift, see, someone say shift. Yeah, pronounce that right, shift. It, this shift of identity. It reminds me of, of a wedding, and I, I, I enjoy weddings. I even enjoy funerals, particularly the funerals of a believer, because as sad as it is, we also get to express tremendous gratitude for the person, and we have that hope. Weddings, though, are happy, happy. Happy, except for, you know, the bride and her mom, because it's stressful, but for everybody else. It's happy, happy. And, and weddings, you know, weddings are, are, they make me nervous. Like they still do. I must have done, you know, 200 weddings. But I still get nervous because uh, while, the, while, while the, the bride and the groom are picking colors and dresses and tuxedos and, 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 and decor and music and, 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 and the reception and the food and, 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 and all that, they don't realize that 99% of the talking is done by the minister. The minister, 90, 99%, right? Something 
special happens in a wedding, there's almost always the giving away of the bride. Traditional act of this passing from one family to another. Typically, it's the father who gives away the bride or someone, a surrogate father figure will give away the bride. And when the father walks his daughter down the aisle and stands and the minister says, um, who gives this woman to this man? And typically, if it's a father, he'll say, her mother and I. That's his line. That's his one line. <laughs> he should stop talking then. Her mother and I, period. And then he gives his, typically a daughter a hug and a kiss, shakes the groom's hand. The groom takes his place next to her. And the old man sits down. From that point on, once I announce them, husband and wife, you may kiss the bride. I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and the crowd goes wild. The father's job, to a large degree, is done. The bride now has a new identity, has a new name. There's a ring on her finger. And now another man has a new authority in her life. And if the old man wants to give his opinion, it will be in a healthy marriage now. It'll be subjected to the opinion of the new young man because that is her husband. The new young man may not know everything that the old man does, but his opinion is higher. Why? Because she has a new name, a new love, a ring on her finger. There's a shift in identity. This is what happens when we come to Christ. There's a shift in identity. We have a new name, a new love. We have a ring on our finger. We are betrothed. We are married. We are part of the bride of Christ. And what that means is, that it, 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 between a husband and a wife, the, 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 the father may have something to say, but it's her new life that really matters now. And so when we have these old, older voices, noble or not, well-intentioned or not, our new identity must submit us to our new husband. We have a new way of solving problems. We have a new way of thinking. We have a new set of priorities. The old is gone, the new is here. So that when the old voices maybe try to take us to a place that we're used to, there's a new voice that calls us to a new place. Now, the reason I'm going down this road is because sometimes we'll make Decisions with an old compass, even though we're on a new journey. We've got a compass that's broken. 
It keeps going towards the alcohol or it keeps going towards the fear or it keeps going towards the anxiety and we don't recognize we have a new identity with a new compass. It's the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us and counsels us and advises us and tells us this is the way you should go. We got we to gotta reject an old compass and adopt a new compass. This is what the people of Israel are doing. They're figuring out how to not do it how their parents did it. How their grandparents did it. It's, it their, their parents went it, to get from A to B, to get from Egypt to Canaan, 40 years circling in the desert, disoriented, not because they didn't know which place the sun set or rose, not because they didn't know east from west, but because there were dynamics in their character, in their decision-making, in their idolatry, in their compromise that insisted that they walk in circles. Just because you can get from here to there doesn't mean you're going to get there. There's a whole dynamic, a whole spiritual dynamic. There's this reality that when we come to Christ, we see it isn't just about what I want or how I can do things. But God is involved in our lives. Are you following me? So when we look at this passage, we see that you know, the people of Israel are figuring this out. They're still figuring it out because although they have suffered some damage, they're still, they're still not taking the time to inquire of the Lord. You caught that right at the end of the passage. Here come these people. There's a ruse. We know that there's a, they're, they're, they're scheming. And they, Joshua and the elders do not inquire of the Lord. They just make a decision. I want to give you three important principles as to why we need this compass. And we need to learn how to use this compass. And we need to apply ourselves to the compass. And we need to be determined to follow the direction of the compass. The first one is this. Make no mistake that there is a conspiracy against your success. Don't neglect your compass, because you need to know there is a conspiracy against your success. There are forces at work to try to keep you depressed, try to keep your marriage split, try to keep your, 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 your children resentful, trying to keep your uh, financial house in disorder, trying to keep you worshiping uh, the wrong things or the wrong people. There is a conspiracy against you. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, verse 2, all these people came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. The way that Paul describes it is that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There are, the enemy of our soul is looking to undermine your best efforts to serve the Lord. Now, I learned a long time ago not to fear the devil, but he is real. And there are demons, there are spiritual forces that are at work. I learned a long time ago not to fear him, but I absolutely recognize that 
there's someone, there are powers at work against me. And the enemy looks for cracks and crevices in which to bring doubt or distraction or temptation or uh, uh, hard-heartedness or a, uh, 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 an apathy for the things of God. Maybe a laziness to pray or to read my Bible for myself. Maybe some selfish tendencies. I have to be aware that there is an enemy who is conspiring against me. But I want you to understand something really, really critical here. Your enemies are not actually contending against you, but rather the enemies are contending against the will of God for you. He's trying to thwart the path that God wants to set you on. He's trying to subvert the good things that God has plan for you. We need to understand that so that our response matches the situation. Good theology leads to good decision making. We, we, we mention that often. Good theology leads to good decision making. We need to respond to the struggle wisely. The adversity, let me give you some principles. Number one is that we have to recognize who the enemy isn't. So when we talk about there are forces at work against you, don't think of your cousin. <laughs> your coworker, your commuter buddy, your neighbor with the barking dog. I'm sorry. I apologize for my barking dogs. Don't our our fight isn't against flesh and blood. Don't make the enemy a person in front of you because you're missing the target. You following me? Someone better write that down because you've done been fighting people your whole life. And you never win. You're like 0 for 4,000. You might have got the last word in. And go tell your husband, I really gave it to her. <laughs> Finally, the thing I wanted to say, I realized in the moment, and I said it. But inside, you're crummy. Inside, you're embarrassed. <laughs> you come to church, and inside, you feel ashamed. Because you realize in that moment, what? I just did, I did the wrong thing. I got a zinger in there. But I, it was the wrong thing to do. There are people in your life that do not have the Lord and they don't know any other way to do life but dysfunctionally. Why are you fighting them? There's that old saying, hurt people hurt people. And it's true. There are people in your life that are hurt. They're going to keep hurting. They're going to keep lashing out. You can't fix them with a zinger. You can't fix them by like, I told him. You can't fix them by holding a grudge. You got to recognize who your enemy is not. Stop shooting at the wrong target. Second, recognize who your enemy is. There is a devil. There is a tempter. There is a deceiver. And focus your preparation against the, the wiles, Paul describes it, the wiles, the schemes of the enemy. 
elevate your perspective. You're feeling tension all around you. People are grumpy. Think people are letting you down. Even believers are still in process. Can I get a witness? And we're talking about Israel, the people of God, still not figuring it out. Joshua's still not consulting with God. Really? Really? Hey, I kicked your tail. And you're still not inquiring of the Lord? Even Joshua, God's man for the hour, still figuring it out. Give believers a little bit of grace. But when people let us down, we have to understand that we're not wrestling against them. There is an adversary. Get spiritual. Spiritually fit. Feed your soul. Don't put on church and take it off. It's about walking in the reality of the spirit. Walking in the spirit. Praying without ceasing. Always having a spiritual song on your heart. It's about contending in the right dimension. Does that make sense? Who the enemy isn't. Who the enemy is. And as you're contending... You need to have a worshipful attitude. You need to have a worshipful attitude. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. That you need to have a worshipful attitude, a worshipful disposition. Why? Even when you're being persecuted. I'm giving you the thing you need to hear today. Even when you're being persecuted. Even when you're struggling. Watch this. Are you ready? Right here. Right here. This is a adult class in Christianity. Ready? Even when you don't feel it. Even when your prayer hasn't been answered yet. Even when you're still waiting for a breakthrough, you need to worship the Lord. But why? Because you were created to worship the Lord. You were not created to get a raise. You were not created to get a vacation. You were not created to get what you want. That is the secular doctrine of a humanist. If you're a believer in God, your agenda gets tossed out the window and you submit yourself to the agenda of the Lord. The agenda of the Lord is that he breathed life into you to give him glory, not to give yourself glory. So when you are in the battle, when you're in the battle, do your job. When you're in the battle, do what you were created to do. I worship you, Lord. I praise you. The way that you deal with that boss, you do it humbly. You do it respectfully. You don't get to be taken advantage of. God has your back. You do the right thing in season, out of season, whether someone's looking or not looking. You do the right thing. That is worship unto the Lord. That does two things. One, you're doing what you were created to do. I don't know what to do with my life. Worship. Give God glory. I don't know. I don't know. I got, there's so many options, Pastor Eric. Just give him glory. He'll get you where you want, he wants you. Graduate, don't stress out. He'll get you where you want you. Just have a disposition to give God glory. You think he's going to let you mess up? You're giving him glory. He'll get you where he wants you. Stop worrying. He even takes care of the lilies of the field and the sparrows have their fill. He got you. Just give him glory. That's doing your job. But the second thing it does is it diminishes the work of the enemy. It diminishes the work of the enemy. You render the enemy powerless when you let God be big in your life. 
The second thing, the second thing that we can learn is not to neglect our compass because appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. I'm not going to read the verse, but you saw it where they, they pretend to have dry, moldy bread and sandals that are broken up. Can I just tell you that what you see is not always reality. Things in life, crossroads, circumstances, they're not always what they appear to be. Don't get caught up with what your eyes see. Because it could be lying to you. There was a man who wanted his windshield cleaned, and there was a gasoline attendant who cleans the windshield for him, and the man gets mad. He says, that, do it again. That windshield's still dirty. He wasn't from Thrive. He was from other, <laughs> some other church. So the, guy, the attendant does it again, and the, yeah, the old guy says, still dirty. His wife's getting embarrassed. So the attendant goes again. He says, I can't believe you can't clean a windshield. Finally, the wife gets so upset, she reaches over, takes his, his glasses off, cleans his glasses, put them on. It was his glasses, not the windshield. The wife goes, oh, oh, oh. You know how the wives get up? <laughs> not Lori, not Lori. Not my mother in law, Jackie. But you know those wives. <laughs> Appearances can be deceiving, it could actually be how you see. Oh boy, I wish I could preach another 45 minutes because someone needs to hear this. Let me tell you. So you, but you, you, you might have, you might think, oh, this, this looks clear, and it's not. The way you see things, the way you were taught to see things, what the world did to your eyes, what disappointment or pain or hurt did to your eyes, you don't see clear. Mm, you can't trust your eyes. That's why. <laughs> this is why. We only please God by faith. Like you can't trust your vision. It's all chueco. In the, uh, what's that in English? It's all crooked. Sorry, the, the bato came out there. You can't, tr you can't trust your eyes. The truth is that your burden may be a blessing. You don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. Your burden actually could be a blessing. Your burden may be keeping you still from running off into a mess. That hill you're climbing that you wish was over because it's been months or years, that hill is making you stronger. And if you were to have it level, that easy road may actually make you apathetic, self-reliant, and you could forget about God on a downhill. But uphill, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me keeps you close. Do you see what I'm saying? Don't buy the humanist gospel. The true gospel. Appearances can be deceiving. Keep your compass close. If the Lord says this is north, don't choose south. Don't, don't choose northeast a little. North. Don't be, I'm going. I'm going. Don't be doing that. 
Trust the compass. Trust the compass. Keep the compass close. Let me tell you, keep the, I'll end with this. Keep your compass close. See, the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. I'll end with this. Every morning I, I, that I take the kids to school, they, they live in Manteca, they, they go to school in Tracy, and got to get on like two highways to get there. And so I learned that what I should do as soon as I get in the car is I should check Apple Maps and, and see how to get there the fastest. Because if we've got like, got like seven ways I could maybe get there. One day I did not check the maps and I went up a road and as soon as I got on the highway, brake lights. Now when you got two kids trying to get them to school, how many know you're not getting there early anyways? You're hoping just to get there so that, like, not too late, where they get a detention or something. And I looked, and then I pulled out the Apple Maps, and I realized that if I would have just gone one road over then to the highway, I would have missed the accident because it was between this road and this road. And I live in the middle. I could have gone airport to 120. Instead, I went Union to 120. There it was. Made us late. One exit. If I would have gone one exit over, I would have missed it. There are lots of ways maybe you think you can get from A to B, but you don't know the car wrecks that are in the way. This is why we don't do things without inquiring of the Lord. The Lord is like the ultimate Apple Maps. You know why Apple Maps works, the Maps app, is because there's a satellite way up in space, and it's sees everything, including you. It knows what you had for breakfast. If you said, I'd love a donut, up comes four donut places. There's a satellite up there. And it knows where, what's going on down here. It can see what you cannot see. It knows what you do not know. Now you can go how you want to go and maybe get there with all kinds of issues. Or you consult the one who has the perspective. What will you choose? Do you want to spend the rest of your life wasting time and getting frustrated and paying a price? Or can we keep the compass close, inquire of the Lord, how do you want me to get from A to B? He has the perspective you do not have. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how educated you are, how tall you are. You're not taller than a, a building to see. It doesn't matter how, many, how long you've been driving. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing anything in life. God has perspective you do not have. That's why we pray. Because God wants to talk to you when you pray. Spend time with God. Inquire of the Lord. Open your heart and listen. It's why you read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because this is a compass. It tells you the most important ways to navigate life. Don't You are married now if you've accepted Christ. Don't listen to the old voices. There's a new voice. The authority of the Lord in your life through his word. You have the counsel of godly believers. Scripture says... The wise man takes the counsel of many. Who 
has done what you want to do well in a God-honoring way. We need to keep the compass close because God has a destiny for you. He ain't done with you. You might have spent the last 50 years not consulting the map, but you still got another 30 to go. It's time to use the map. God wants to lead and guide your life. He wants you to avoid the problems, the struggles, the issues. We need to keep the compass close. Would you stand with me, family? I want you to bow your heads for just a moment as we conclude our service today. Perhaps there is someone here who this idea of a compass is, is strange because your experience really doesn't ha isn't God-centric. God is, is almost like, uh, like an addition. It's it's, it, 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 God is someone you believe in and you consider, but God is not the center of your life. Up until this point, you've lived your life with yourself in the middle. You have not allowed or believed or heard that you could have a relationship with Jesus Christ where he's in the middle. He's in the middle of you. With that relationship comes the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life, but it also comes with the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you. The Bible calls him in Greek the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the, the, the counselor he's called. While you have perhaps been flailing away at life because you only could trust yourself, I want you to know that if you put your trust in God, he directs your path. And so perhaps there's someone here in the room with every head bowed and eye closed that would say, Pastor Eric, I have not done that. I believe in God. I'm here. I believe in God and I, I feel good when I think about God, but I have not actually given him my life. I, I've not confessed that he's Lord of my life. And I'm ready to give him my life. I, I understand he died for me and that the right response is to actually surrender to him, put my, all my faith in him. And so if that's you today and you would say, I wanna do that today. Again, no one looking around except me. If that is you, just raise your hand so I can pray for you. Is there anybody? Anybody? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. See those hands. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Amen. You may put your hands down. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me right there where you are. And if you're online today and, and you, you need to give God your life, then you can pray this prayer with us here. And the Lord's going to come into your life. We do this as family because we're brothers and sisters. So I'm going to invite the brothers and sisters to pray with you. Just say, Jesus, I know I need you. I confess I'm a sinner. But I believe you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. 
And so I give you my life. I put my faith in you. Take control from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray for all of us today. Lord, let us keep you close, Lord. You want a church that is dialed in. You want us dialed in, Lord. You don't want us guessing all the time. Lord, you want us close to you in prayer, close to you in the word, close to you with the counsel of godly people. Lord God, you want to direct our paths. Holy Spirit, let us be sensitive to you. To you. I pray for grace to live the life you've called us to live. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give the Lord a praise? Amen. If you're here or online and you prayed that salvation prayer, let us know by texting CONNECT to that number there on the screen. We want to help you in your walk with Jesus. I love you, family. Give the Lord one more praise. Give him one more praise. Amen, amen. God bless you, Thrive. See you next Sunday. Bring a friend. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.